Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we're talking about season five, episode two, Real Me. I keep wanting to say the real me, but it's just real Mm me. Uh, And I almost said season two because I was telling my husband the other day, I still can't believe that we've made it to season five. And I'll probably say this for the entire season because I feel like it's a huge feat that we even have gotten to this this moment. Um, And I especially feel it after going through season four. Um, But I just, I'm just so proud of us and from where we've how far we've gone and how far we have gotten into the episode and the series. And also, I'm just so flipping excited to talk about season five. Like Tabby and I were talking about it, and it's just season five is season fiving already. So good. So, so good. So, uh, okay, but before we jump into all that, we have a special guest here with us. We actually, well, I should go back and say, Leah is not here with us today. We had a scheduling conflict, so we decided to bring along Chrissy here as our first guest of season five, which is hilarious because I think you are our last guest of season four. (laughs) I think I was, and this is the first time I've ever been on and my boyfriend's not here. So that means I really love you guys. That is. That is true. (laughs) Yes. And Riley's not getting beat up this time, so you know. I know, man. Unfortunately, that is not the case, but we appreciate your sacrifice and your willingness to come on even though – Angel's not here. <laughs> she's going to embody Leah's essence this episode, so she's going to do some of her staples. I'm going to. I am. I'm not going to know who any blonde is, only Buffy. <laughs> like, that's Leah's signature, so I have to. <laughs> and then have like 10 minutes of like static noise and then come in and interrupt <laughs> both Sarah and I <laughs> and then rant for five minutes about something. <laughs> You won't even know that Leah's not here, okay? I promise. Got it. Leah, if you're listening, I'm embodying you right now, okay? I was telling Tabby I'm really bummed Leah's not here because if there's any episode where I could just pull up embarrassing stories from Leah's childhood, this would be it. Um, But also, this is the perfect opportunity for Leah to go, wait, who's this girl? I don't remember her. (laughs) (laughs) And us be like, you're Big not Dawn energy to. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Who is this Oh, my gosh. All right. So season five, episode two, Real Me, written by David Fury, directed by David Grossman, and it aired October 3rd, 2000. So as much as I would love to gaslight all of you and be like, oh, my gosh, Don has been here the whole time. And like we have no clue where where they're going with her. And she's just so random and all this stuff. If you've been paying attention to the show and if you've been paying attention to all of the hints that we've been highlighting in the past few seasons, especially in seasons four and three, um, you should know, even if you're a new viewer – that Dawn has been heavily teased. And I don't think that it's any shock to anyone, um, especially once like we we figure out her name in this episode for the first time. But also like Restless, you know, you have 
Tara appearing as the spirit of the Slayer and talking to Buffy saying, be back before dawn. We have all dressed up in little or big sister's clothes. Better be ready before little sister comes. Dawn, the sun rising, all sorts of stuff. So there's she's been heavily, heavily foreshadowed. I don't think she's what anyone expected. But if you have never seen the show before, I think that it's – pretty obvious, at least from my opinion, um, in my opinion, I think it's pretty obvious that she's done intentionally and she's not just shoehorned in as a new character to bring up views, you know? So Michelle Trachtenberg has been added to the opening credits, ironically, uh, which makes the shortest period in which an actor goes from a guest credit to a main character, which is only one episode. Um, we also have – like we had Anya joining last episode and then we have Dawn this episode. So it's the second episode in a row to promote a guest star to a main cast status. Um, the number of main characters on the show now stands at eight, which is a record for both Buffy and Angel. And I never really thought about that, but there's a lot of people that are main cast right now. Um, prior to the role of Dawn being cast, Sarah Michelle Geller suggested they take a look at Michelle Trachtenberg. Dawn was originally conceived to be 12 years old, but after Trachtenberg was cast, the writers raised the character's age to 14. However, the first few scripts were still written in the voice of a 12-year-old. So a lot of people complain that Dawn is annoying. And I'm not going to disagree because I do think she is annoying, but she's supposed to be annoying. She's intentionally written to be so. And I think – especially the first few episodes, it really does feel like she's playing someone younger than how she's actually supposed to be played. So uh, you will notice a slight change in how they write her in a few episodes once they kind of catch up to the time when Michelle Trachtenberg was cast. But just for everybody, you know, bear with us. It won't always be a 12-year-old. It'll be a 14-year-old, which isn't much better, but you know. Uh, before being cast Trachtenberg, a fan of the show had written a letter to Joss Whedon that suggested how she could become a character on Buffy, which is really cute. She worked with Sarah Michelle Gellar on the long-running All My Children in the mid-90s before Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and they were good friends, which led to Sarah casting her or suggesting her being cast. Michelle is best known for playing Penny in Ex Inspector Gadget, Harriet in Harriet the Spy, Ice Princess. Man, that was the first movie mm -hmm. I ever saw her in. Oh, so good. Um, 17 again, which I always forget she's in. And of course, playing Georgiana in Gossip Girl. Harriet the Spy was actually written by Doug Petrie. So there's another Buffy connection over there too. Is it just Georgina? I've never seen Gossip Girl. Georgina just, Sparks? It might be Georgina. Okay. Gianna, My apologies, Georgina. Georgina. I think it's Georgina. Okay. Well, someone out there, if you've seen Gossip Girl and you know, let me know because I haven't seen it. I know she's on there and I've seen clips of her, but it's either she Georgina eats. or Georgina. She's such a good she's villain. Good. And I totally forgot this, and I wish I had mentioned this when we were doing our Twilight episode, which you have – if you have not listened to our Twilight episodes, check out our Buy Me a Coffee because we actually have Leah <laughs> leading us. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> well, Sarah and I haven't seen them, so we are both like going in so bamboozled, yeah. and Leah's eating it. She loves those so movies. You guys need to watch it. It's we, well, we have. We now. are. We're doing it on Buy Me a no, Coffee. No, I mean like – all of them. You need to read all of them. I was a huge Twilight. Like <laughs> I was. Well, we're we're dipping our toes in the pool of Twilight, which it's hilarious because you guys all know that when we do the episodes, Tabby and I are usually the ones leading the episode. I'm the one that brings in all the fun facts that has all the Buffy knowledge, and Leah will like pop in with her very heated opinions every once in a while. <laughs> 
So doing this is roles completely reversed. <laughs> Leah's in here, super passionate. She was explaining to me, we just did New Moon. She was explaining to me the intentionality behind the characters and what they were doing. And I was like, girl, where is this passion for Buffy? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Leah is you. Well, and she's, it's, in her head, she's like, well, like, Twilight's not as serious. So, so she's like trying to sell it to us because both of us are like, this is kooky as all hell. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, I know, but it's so good. We're like, all right. She wants you to drink that Kool Aid. She's like, take it. <laughs> yep. Okay. But what I was trying to say about Twilight, so I had forgotten this. Um, and then I was reminded of it. And I wish I had mentioned this when we were doing Twilight. But apparently, Michelle Trachtenberg was Catherine Hardwick, the director of Twilight's first choice to play the role of Bella. And they were actually going to do it. But Yay. Michelle had a scheduling conflict and so ended up she, not. She would have been good. She would have been good. Oh I could see she that. She would have been a good Bella Swan. Yeah. Yeah. I think she would have been would've, fantastic. She would have had to wear contacts the whole time, though, because Bella has brown you know, I would have never thought about that pairing, but I think it could have worked for like the age that she was and like what, like she had like the, the brown the hair. hair and like, and she plays awkward skin. well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Pacey. Yeah. Yep. Porcelain. Yeah. I prefer porcelain for those of us with fair skin. Uh, you know, with <laughs> my natural skin. tan, I just automatically <laughs> 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 say Chrissy's like, you pasty people over you there. I know. People. You have Stay no color. Vampires. But I really do think that that would have been a very good choice. I mean, obviously, Kristen Stewart, it's iconic, but that would have been really cool. All right. So David Fury says this about developing the character of Dawn since he wrote this episode. He says, I was given a lot of freedom to develop Dawn. Joss was fairly clear. Basically, it was a 14-year-old girl who should speak like a 14-year-old girl, and nobody speaks like a 14-year-old girl like I do. <laughs> I love that. In terms of how she functions within the Buffy community, that, that I got to discover as I went about writing it. Willow is certainly the favorite aunt. Willow and Tara are the aunt characters. And Giles, that grown up that she's a little bit, I'm not really sure about him. He is an authority figure I'm not really sure about. I got to play with that quite a bit and give her a little bit of background. In fact, some of the background I wrote came out of the script, but it still infused her character in future episodes. It was fun writing someone who had a history that we know didn't exist, but you know we can create anything. Any shared moments between her and Buffy that they had prior to this were just dark creations, uh, which I think is like that would be such a fun and unique task to be like, hey, you're going to be writing this episode and you can make up anything you want and how they like relate with the dynamics of the other characters, which I think is so fun. Um, so Joss says this about the creation of Dawn. He says, the Dawn thing was off the charts. Michelle was just incredible. The only weakness I would say is that I don't think we had enough time for some of the other characters. And Marty Noxon says, for me, not being a comic book fan, apparently this is not uncommon in comic books that fantasy characters suddenly arrive. It happens. And it's happened in other stories, but I'd never seen it before. I love comic books, but I mostly read the really twisted ones, the ones about death and suicide. Of course. This woman Girl. needs therapy. <laughs> She needs she needs exorcist so much. Stop. Jeez. 
<laughs> Marty goes on to say, I didn't know there was a precedent. We were like, how is this going to work? People were really flipping out. But once we got into the idea that we were just going to leave people sort of disturbed for a while, it was kind of fun. I'd never done anything like that before. I think everybody was concerned that the audience wouldn't go on that journey with us, but Josh just had confidence and that the payoff was going to be worth it. He knew what his role was in the whole season too. He was just really sure of it, that it might throw people off for a while, but it would keep them intrigued as well. My experience is that if he's sure, we should be sure. Uh, And Marty Noxon goes on to say, at first she seemed like a traditional annoying kid sister almost stepping out of another TV show, but that was part of the intention. What is this? Because clearly she isn't that. She has conflict with her sister. She has real life stuff, but there's obviously more to her than this little pesky younger sister. So it was fun to introduce this character you've sort of seen before, but realizing that there's something really off about her. That was so inherent in who she was because she had just appeared. So we could play her a little more traditional and let her emerge as a more layered character. Michelle was just an amazing actress. Um, And then David Fury says again, I thought it was kind of brilliant actually because I knew that the initial reaction would be that we were trying to repopulate the show with younger actors. And Sarah Michelle Gellar has said this, that like on other shows that's happened where it's like all of a sudden you have a half-sister like Gilmore Girls where all of a sudden Luke has a a young daughter and stuff to kind of take the place Mm -hmm. of Rory or others. Um, And so a lot of people accuse the show of doing that and being like, oh gosh, you just had this young sister that was living with Hank for a while and she appears and you're just doing this for ratings. And Joss is like, no, I actually had this idea for a couple years. Um, So David Fury says, that's the thing networks tend to do after a certain amount of years and just go, our teenage characters are getting too old. We need to refresh the show. But that's not what it really was at all. I loved it when Joss pitched it. He pitched it toward the end of the prior season because he had alluded to her in the earlier episodes, including Restless. There were all these clues written about Dawn's appearance, which was a lot of fun. So this episode, I didn't realize it. So I watched this episode. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I had so much fun. It was so entertaining. It entertained me more than like most of the episodes we've been watching in season four. It was so good. Um, But apparently this episode is very disliked in the fandom. And it has a lower rating. It has a lower rating than Doomed wrecked into the woods dead thing okay can i say my piece real quick i'm in no, i'm enhancing it. leah i'm in, i'm calling her <laughs> chessens on Channel here right leah. <laughs> i i genuinely don't get the hate for dawn like genuinely like and i know chrissy you might disagree but <laughs> here's here's my thing okay i it pisses me off when there are preteens. Now when preteens are written, make me want to smack them. Like I can't do it. Like it's like it it's it's not even realistic. The the dialogue is like not at all what kids would say. The attitude is like way too mean. Like it's like it, they don't know how to write them. This is realistically annoying. Like Dawn is realistically written, but there's a charm to her that I just I like, can't help but love. Like I I also just love Michelle Trachtenberg. I think she's just a little cutie patootie. And like her and Sarah Michelle Geller's chemistry as siblings really works for me. So even when I'm annoyed with Dawn, like the dynamic really works and there's a charm with it. So like, mm-hmm. yes, she's annoying at parts, but like that's the point. But it's not like how normal teens are written in shows because that's not what the tone of the show is for. So like I think it really works with this show. Yeah, I agree. I agree. No, I don't hate her. I don't <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Which, like, 
I, because like when I first started watching Buffy, I didn't watch it in order. I was really young and I wasn't allowed to watch it. And so it's taken me like, what, like three years now to finally mm-hmm. within like the last year to be like, give her some grace because we see her go through a journey, yeah. you know, and then it kind of makes you sympathize with her more. But I, I agree with you. I think she is, for how she's written, she's annoying enough that it, yeah. I think it does get underneath people's skin, but that's how an actual child mm-hmm. acts. So I think, yeah. Right. And we have to remember too that like she's technically only two years younger than Buffy was when we met her. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, Tabby. Like we met all Isn't of these 14? characters. I yeah, she's 14. But so Buffy she's was 15 younger. when she was called. So she's only a year younger than when Buffy right, was called. Right, but when we met Buffy, we met Buffy at 16. No, I know. But like remember in this episode, she's talking about how like, well, oh, like yeah. I was a child too when I had to go through stuff. So when you think about when yeah. Buffy was called, she had a whole year being a slayer before you even met her. So she was 15. Right. right. Yeah. And so I think like kind of going back to what you were talking about with um, how teens are written and portrayed versus how they actually are or preteens, I think we are thinking about Cordelia and Xander and Buffy and all these other characters that we started off as preteens, but they're very clearly adults. And so I think teenage years and preteens are a little bit more whitewashed on television shows. Um, because in real life, preteens can be really, really annoying because they're going through so much, so much. So I appreciate the realism because in comparison, Dawn feels like an actual teenager. And even in this one, she's really not like her top annoying. She's kind of like normal Dawn in this episode. Like I don't see her like being really annoying and particularly in this episode. No, she's actually really great. Yeah. I think she's, I think she's fine. It's just, I think the fact that they're, sorry, they're doing a whole like, monologue throughout the whole episode because it's from her perspective i could see why that might annoy people i think sometimes too like because we see a lot of things through buffy's eyes as well and so buffy's annoyed with her initially and so we as the viewers are like oh well you know kind of like buffy's side yeah she's annoying so yeah right and i'll have more to say on why i think that people are so annoyed with dawn um, apart from like the obvious uh, and why I don't think it's completely Dawn's fault, but I'll wait till we get there in the episode. Uh, but just for fun, okay, I actually checked the IMDb rankings. And so to no one's surprise, Hush, The Body, and Once More with Feeling are tied for the top position. Beer Bad, I, Robot, You, Jane, and Where the Wild Things Are are ranked as the lowest episodes, and they're actually ranked lower than the unaired pilot. Isn't that funny? <laughs> no way. <laughs> I've actually never seen the unaired pilot. You haven't? It's on YouTube for free. Yeah, for free. Is it the same plot, though? Just without Allison Hannigan? Uh, No, it's different. It's different. Like the the scenes where things happen are very different and some of the dialogue. Yeah. Interesting. And Principal Flutie is a totally different person. All right. So, and lastly, the last thing I'm going to say is the title, Real Me. So while on the surface, and this is from um, Mark Field. Mark Field actually had some amazing things to say about this episode and uh, season five in general, like the themes and stuff, a lot of which I cannot say here. I can only say in spoilers. So this is your teaser. You should go listen to the spoilers because it's so good. It's stuff that even I had, I just had never thought about before. But now that I know, like I'm going to watch the season differently. All right. So, um, This episode, the title, Real Me. So while on the surface, it's meant to reflect Dawn and who she is, like we're being introduced to this new character for the first time. This episode and the title 
also kind of reference Harmony in a way. And I don't know if you guys noticed the parallels between Harmony and Dawn, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Harmony even says the phrase, this is the real me now at one point. So anytime you hear the title being spoken by a character, you're like, okay, pay attention. What are they trying to do? Um, We'll talk about that in a minute. But the main person that this episode is referencing is Buffy. So we talked last episode about how this season is all about family, but it's also all about Buffy figuring out who she really is. Um, And Mark Field says this, I've argued repeatedly that other characters can serve as metaphors as well as being characters in their own right. The events of Primeval and Restless made this explicit. It won't surprise you then to learn that I think Dawn plays a metaphorical role as well as being a a character, an actual character. If Dawn is here to teach us something about Buffy – and that's the whole point of the entire show in my reading, then Dawn's metaphorical role ought to lead us to wonder about the title of this episode and who it really refers to. Um, And if you guys don't want to wait until the end of the series to get all the good stuff, again, this is check out our spoiler section and buy me a copy because we're going to be delving into next week how exactly Dawn reflects Buffy. And oh my gosh, guys, it's so good. So good. I, I was telling Sarah before we uh, started recording that I feel like in the loving – the most loving way possible, this episode had no plot, but I feel like it's set up so much. Like I feel like in my head, this is more of the opener for the season because I feel like Buffy vs. Dracula is just like camp fun. But like this one, I was like it's, – it's a classic start of a new season where it's like a day in the life for Buffy where nothing is – really happening (laughs) but like it sets up so many plot points that season five is going to really kind of dive into um i forget that there's a whole like back workout room in the magic shop that they create later and that i thought that's where we started out but then i realized that he like at the end of the episode he starts working at the magic shop so where are they yeah the gym actually says or sorry the script says that they're at a gym just a regular gym which is funny because I am no one's around. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And there's like, you know, boards of wood inside there and, you know, gemstones and Giles is allowed to bring in his weaponry. Uh, IMDB actually <laughs> clocked this as a mistake because they're like, oh, this is supposed to be the magic box and it's, you know, it's a continuity error, but it's actually just supposed to be a random gym. The stunt double is doing just an impeccable job of doing all of these like muscle <laughs> – <laughs> I don't even know what you even call that. She's like holding herself in like a handstand position on just one block of wood. (laughs) Yeah, for real. She is like strong. (laughs) But you guys don't think this is Sarah Michelle Gellar doing all this work? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, so again, but like this this beginning part is really, really key. Like Giles says, you are the center, and within you there's the core of your being of what you are. Find it, breathe into it. This is very important. Um, This is Buffy trying to figure out who she is and who is she interrupted by? Dawn. And that's not a coincidence. While she has inner peace, then Dawn comes like literally breaking things down. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Can we go? (laughs) Your inner demon. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's it. Dawn represents the inner demon. And then we start the episodes like format style where we see Dawn journaling inside her room and then inner monologuing throughout the entire episode basically. So much teen angst, so much being like no one has a sister that's a slayer, which she is true in that. I was like, you know what, girly, I'll give you that. That is – there's got to be a lot of whole comparison game there. 
And yeah. she had a point where she was like, she would wear like a disguise to protect her loved ones. Cause I'm like, she's right. Like anybody who like would like, you know, a bad guy who come out during the day, not the vampires would know who Buffy was. Like if they fought her in the night and then had to come up against her, like mm-hmm. she had a point. Why doesn't she patrol in like a wig or something? You know? Yeah. So I don't know who she would be like, yeah. snatch her wig. Hannah Montana over here, but in reverse. She would like, Sandra, hold my wig. <laughs> she comes out and sings the best of both worlds, you yes. know, Slayer and Human. Actually, you know what? She wouldn't need to if she's just doing casual patrolling because like she's going to dust them. But it's more of like when you're defeating like the big bad, you have to really keep that under wraps, you know? Yeah. The the thing that really kind of struck me with this whole dialogue with Dawn was the similarities to Buffy into Buffy's own life. Nobody knows who I am, not the real me. It's like nobody cares enough to find out. I mean, does anybody ever ask me what I want to do with my life? And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I think not only does Dawn immediately ground Buffy in a way that we haven't seen in a while, because listen, little sisters don't care if you're the chosen one. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic because everybody who comes across Buffy or meets Buffy is super impressed with who she is. And I think like having Dawn talk about this and express these feelings not only makes her relatable, but it also draws an immediate comparison to her and Buffy and shows that she and Buffy actually have far more in common than we think. I mean, you're no more the main character than you were as a teenager. Like me walking around, I was like, I am it. That like I am so cool. <laughs> and then me being like 25, I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> like, I don't know. like I walk into a grocery store, I'm like, okay, please don't look at me. Don't acknowledge me. Who like I? I, I just want to walk around, get my stuff, and leave. Well, um, you know, Leah's not here, so we can roast her all we want. But that this this main character energy has been Leah since the day she was born. Yeah, but she was correct for that. Okay, let me tell you. I, I <laughs> No, I used to go and pick up Leah at like youth group um, when I, you know, was like the coldest sister with uh, using my mom's Toyota Corolla with my brand new license. It was like breaking down. That was so fun to drive. And she would have, I'm not lying, we joke about it now. Leah would have a whole friend group of girls that would follow her around. And she was like the queen bee of the friend group and she would order them around. And she just was like so extroverted, so loud, which is so funny now because she is like extremely introverted and very like loyal, very like she's had friends, same friends for like years and years and years. And they're like, she has so many of them. I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's honestly so impressive to me. But like her in junior high was the funniest thing to me. Like she was the exact opposite of how she is now. Um, Like genuinely the queen bee of her friend group. But it's just funny. Yeah. I was cracking up at the part where Riley keeps coming in and calling her a kid and she yells at him. I'm not a kid. Honestly, that was Leah. That was Leah and honestly, I get that. There were times yeah. where people would kind of be a little me and I would literally just glare at them. I'm like, hello, I'm a mature 14-year-old. You can't talk to me like that. I'm a mature 14-year-old. <laughs> well, I really – like I was thinking about, you know, once older sisters started bringing home boyfriends, you have all these younger sisters uh-huh. that are over And they there. tried to parent them and it would piss me off. Anyway, okay, this kitchen scene, I was like, this if this isn't sisters, I don't know what it is. <laughs> eating this cereal and taking up all of them. <laughs> Taking all the milk. And she's intentionally doing it too. You can see her like looking at Buffy and out of the does, corner like, of a her side eye. eye of like, and then, or like Buffy's like glaring at her. And she doesn't say a word. 
I'm dead. All the voice over while she talks about how Buffy gets away with everything and can do whatever she wants. <laughs> yeah. And then Riley comes in and apparently they're affectionate around each other. Never saw until this episode. She's like, they're kissing and groping all the time. I'm like, when? <laughs> when? <laughs> Give me receipts. I don't remember this. I bet they had sex. <laughs> I'm like, girl. <laughs> You're like five years old. Stop. <laughs> I'm dead. I was like, oh, sweet Dawn, you have no idea. They have definitely had sex. And unfortunately, we all had to experience it. <laughs> also, question mark, question mark, Riley was actually like randomly supportive and understanding this episode when she bailed yeah. on him. I was like, am I? Do I like Riley this episode? He was really good this episode. I'm like, he was. I'm like checking my pulse. <laughs> you died and just went to another realm. <laughs> am I good? <laughs> Yeah, Riley and Xander. Xander was good this episode too. Both of them coming yeah. to bat for Dawn. I was like, what universe it's the is se this? Season five air. And even a couple times, like, I understood where Buffy was coming from. Yeah, I'm going to wait on that one, actually. Okay. Because I'll we're wait at get the there. edge of my seat. Um, So, Buffy kind of like somewhat bails on Riley and he's like super supportive about it. I was like, oh, okay, all right. That Okay, that scene yeah. was so interesting and telling to me because Riley was fine with it, but even the, the script and even the way that Sarah Michelle Gellar played it, you could tell that she like was – like it said she was worried. The script said she's a teeny bit worried. And he says, Buffy, I know what this means to you. I think it's great you've got this new mission. And then he leaves and it says, Buffy watching him go and feeling somehow guilty. And I think like Riley's shirt is the exact same shade of green as his initiative military uniform. Like we've gotten so used to seeing him in that color that I didn't even really think about it for a minute. Him calling her slang is a mission, his reference to Dawn as a kid. I don't get the feeling that he fully understands what Buffy's doing and Buffy forgetting that they were going to hang out, but then choosing to do slang over spending time with him. It's all very normal stuff, but they're pairing it with the stuff, like pairing it with the stuff from the previous episode, especially like with Riley getting mad at Buffy about uh, Dracula and being insecure and all that stuff. It feels as though Riley doesn't quite fit in Buffy's life. Like it just, he seems like an afterthought in this episode. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh -huh. and then, <laughs> <laughs> do I care that Riley's an afterthought? Absolutely not. Um, the fact that I didn't even think about him being an afterthought really proves that he is an afterthought. Um, in the car ride, we have Giles talking about how he has this new baby that seduced him, aka his <laughs> new car. Um, and they're kind of like talking about like Slayer stuff. And then Dawn just like pops up from behind the seat to change the station from classical. And Giles was like, please woman, get behind me. Do not touch my car. Um, the music that's playing in this, in this moment, cause you know, there's gotta be intention to everything. The music playing is Edvard Grieg's Prelude from Holberg's Suite. It's an early essay in neoclassicism. So neoclassicism is in music, it's a 20th century trend, particularly current in the interwar period in which composers sought to return to aesthetic precepts associated with the broadly defined concept of classicism. And classicism was basically order, balance, clarity, economy, and emotional restraint. As such, neoclassicism was a reaction against the unrestrained emotionalism and perceived formlessness of late romanticism, as well as a call to order after the experimental ferment of the first two decades of the 20th century. That's a lot of jargon, but if you ever took like an, an art history class or a music class or whatever, you'll know that 
a lot of times music and art is defined and is influenced by what's happening in the culture around them. And again, it's a reaction to what has happened previously. So neoclassism is a desire to move back to order and balance. The show is trying to demonstrate that Giles is trying to get his life back to normal, to balance. He's trying to get back to being a watcher. And I think it's also a reflection of the showrunners attempting to do the same thing with the show. This episode, while fresh and new, shows a reverting back to the typical Buffy form. Buffy fights vampires. She hangs out with her friends. She hangs out with her watcher. She trains. And I think that is such an interesting idea for an episode that showcases a brand new character that's supposedly been here this entire time. Like what an interesting way to start your season. Um, So Giles is kind of talking about and affirming his like midlife crisis resulting in the fancy car. And then they bump into Willow and Tara. And then um, (laughs) Dawn has this like funny inner monologue that's so clueless to the fact that they're literally in a relationship. Um, (laughs) She's like, Willow is just so cool. And I love that they have this little kindred like – like connection between them two and then you will see it later between her and Tara. I love that we see like the individual relationships that yeah. have been like supposedly been here for a long time between Dawn and each of the core characters. Um, I feel like the one that's the least connected is Giles, but I think it's more of just because we assume that all of his energy has always been towards Buffy, which is understandable. Um, but she has a conversation, tells us that Willow and her are connected on the level that they both love school and no one else really does. Um, and says that she just really loves Tara um, and thinks that all of Willow's friends are really cool, especially since they do magic. And magic is much cooler than being a slayer. That's like another insight into Dom, though, that she is intelligent. So, like, that's something yeah. else for us to know about her. Yeah. Um, so they go into – or they they walk by the coffee shop, which is where they pick up Willow and Tara, and they walk over to the magic shop. Oh, yeah. I love how they're like, the shop's kind of dark. Maybe it's closed. And Giles goes, that's odd. And I was like, is it Giles? Is it? Like at least two of these shopkeepers have been killed by vampires. We've seen that quite we've a few. Seen. Yeah, we've <laughs> like <laughs> lover's walk. Like we've seen. Yeah. Passion. I don't think this is that weird. Yeah. Um, the shop looks closed. Even though all the lights are off, all the gang goes in. Willow trips over a body. And then um, Buffy is quick to just like grabbed on and shove her outside i feel like i would have had somebody be outside with her like i'd be concerned agreed if there's like a dead body out there i'd be like tara go sit outside with her which she eventually does come outside but like there's a quite a few minutes as we see now that like a homeless man comes up harasses her puts his like finger on her mouth and tells her you don't belong here um i know what you are like very traumatizing what he says is clearly meant to be important. The fact that he says, yeah. what are you doing here? He also says, cat's in the cupboard, but they find you anyway, which is interesting that he mentions a cat. And then he says, curds and whey, which is a reference to the little Miss Muppet story that we've been referencing and then heard referenced by Faith. Um, and then also the you don't belong here, which is very important. Then Tara comes out and finds Dawn sitting by herself, kind of hiding from the front of the magic shop. And this is just what we need. Like, Tara is our collective therapist. She is Mm -hmm. just a sweetheart of all sweethearts. Also, just like, I don't know what is in the season five air, but everyone had like a slight glow up. Like, Amber Benson is like glowing this episode. Her makeup looks so good. Her outfits are so cute. Her hair, like she looks so gorgeous in this episode. 
Um, yeah. And she just sits there and she's like, it's best that non-Scoobies like you and me stay out of their way. And I just appreciate like – talk about like somebody who's observant and just reads people really well and is the least judgmental, knows her place. And even when she when we talk about um, how she's feeling – as like a quote unquote outsider later on the episode, it's not coming from a place of like, you guys aren't including me. It's like a, oh, you guys just have like this like strong bond and you know your roles. And there is, because of that, there is going to be naturally feeling like an outsider. And I think that is incredibly fair to feel, but she doesn't shift blame on anyone. But it's, I just love this conversation that she has with Dawn. Like we're, we're seeing that each of the core group of people have something mirrored in Dawn that they can connect to and have a connection with. Um, and we clearly see, even just in one sentence, her and Will's connection. We see her and Tara's connection. Um, and we'll see some more connections as the episode goes on. Or even you're saying too, Sarah, like the connection between how she's feeling and how she didn't know or doesn't know how Buffy's feeling. And I feel like that's a classic sister thing. Like, like I said earlier, like there's so much that you guys have shared experiences about. And I feel like it's so easy to um, – not see those sides because it's like, oh, well, like, I'm not going to tell you that's embarrassing. I'm around you all the time, um, you know, but like as you get older, there's a little bit more of that like connection in that sense as you go through more things and start to realize and appreciate your siblings. But for the ages that they are right now, it makes sense that they wouldn't see that in each other. Yeah. Andrew and I were actually, we had a conversation, like, I don't remember how it led into it, but we were talking about how important it is for you to have blood relatives. And we think about people who are adopted and how they it's always so important for them to know where they came from and who they came from. And we're talking about how there's this connectedness that like, because Andrew was talking about chosen family. He was like, I think it's so important to have chosen family, but I think we often elevate chosen family above blood relatives. And he goes, and I think a healthy dynamic would be people that have both chosen family and blood relatives. And obviously not everybody can have that. So like there's giving deference to that, but there's something about having blood relatives that just, they know your history. They know who you are. Not only do they look like you, but they also have quirks that are only something that you could all have because it's genetic. And so there's this sense of belonging that happens when you are with people that are blood relatives on top of like knowing how to push each other's buttons. And I think it's really cool to kind of see that with Dawn and Buffy. Um, mm -hmm. And I really liked your point, Tabby, when you were talking about how um, every single person is shown to have a connection with Dawn in some way apart from their relationship with Buffy. And I think that's really important. I think if you have kind of along what you're saying, Sarah, if you have people that are related to you blood-wise, it's a responsibility that you both should share equally in the sense that like I am – it's hard for you to recognize this when you're younger, but – I'm responsible as somebody who has grown up my entire life with somebody or multiple somebodies that to get to know the people that they're constantly becoming. I think sometimes we can stigmatize mm. our own family members into who they were 15 oh, yeah. years ago. And so I think that there's this huge responsibility to constantly like – this is why like family stuff can be so ugly sometimes because people tend to just weaponize people's pain um, and stuff that they used to do or who they used to be or just like past mistakes. And it's like sometimes it can be so defeating because you're like, I 
should not be defined by these mistakes, yet the people who witnessed the happening are not being gracious to who I am right. today. Um, and so I think there should there should be this huge responsibility with having family members to be like, I'm dedicated to getting to know who you are now. Um, right. But then also having the courage to really show who you are now. Like we were saying earlier, it's like feels yeah. uncomfortable. You're like, there's this whole side of me professionally and to other people that sometimes my siblings will never see. Um, and they should see. I should have the courage to show them. They should also have the responsibility to like – put effort into getting to that side of you. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Blood relationships are hard, dude. They're very difficult. <laughs> they are. So I I feel for both Buffy and Dawn in yeah. this episode because I see both sides. Yeah, totally. So back inside the shop after we see Tara and Dawn having a little thumb wrestle to end their little heart-to-heart, um, they, they kind of are going around seeing what people or what the vamps because um, – the poor shop owner was bitten. So we do know it was a vamp. Um, so they're like, okay, so they this is a, a clear raid. So we need to kind of go through and see what they've like picked up and what they haven't. Apparently there was a unicorn that was taken out. They're like, what tacky person would want this? <laughs> and then boom, boom, boom. Of course it's Harmony. But like when she first popped up on the screen, I had no idea who she was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leah. Very nice. Very nice. I had to channel Leah. <laughs> <laughs> no you're like who is this again <laughs> who is this I don't remember is it Darla like I don't know who it is and you know what maybe this is coming fresh from like watching the first two Twilights but I don't think Harmony gets her flowers for like the camp blonde 2000s girly being a vampire a vampire like having her little minions moment I was like she doesn't get her flowers for this this is so she fun Okay, yeah, she no, did. so I, I want to get on my soapbox about Harmony for a minute because, Go for one, it. I love how supportive and encouraging she is in comparison to the male supervillains we've seen. <laughs> True. Um, Positive work environment. <laughs> yes. I want to work for Harmony. She's inspired me. Okay, so a couple things. Um, Harmony's outfit is very clearly trying to emulate Buffy. She has like the, the gold leather pants and the tank top. And then, I mean, okay, Buffy was killing it with outfits this episode. All of her halter tops and shirts were just absolutely adorable. Um, but okay, back to Harmony. Harmony is just such a joy to watch. And a criticism I've seen of this episode is that she's in it too much, taking away from the other stuff that's happening. However, I want to point out that Harmony's function for this episode is key in a couple ways. So the first thing is she's meant to be somewhat of a reflection of Dawn. I know I talked about this earlier, but this episode is partially from Dawn's point of view, but it's also a bit from Harmony's. They're both struggling with the same feeling of not being seen, heard, or even respected. The conversation between Harmony and Dawn at the end reflects this when Harmony's like trying to come out of Spike's shadow. And okay, this leads me to my next point. So Secondly, the show teases Harmony being the big bad, and Spike mocks her for it. And I think this is an actually really interesting idea because we are coming off the initiative storyline that was so about masculinity, so mm -hmm. it's actually really refreshing to see a girl in charge. Maybe that's why. I was like so refreshed. Yeah. Two, there's never been a female big bad. The female and energy, so, I was like soaking yeah. up. I was like, love this for her. Love this for myself. Well, and she I'm had just so grateful not her. to have all military men <laughs> season yeah. four. I was like, yes, girly, you <laughs> take down Buffy. Go for it, girl. Yes, I know. And so the closest we got to a female big bad was Drusilla, but that was literally just one episode and she was like overshadowed oh, by the flashier I wish, spike. Dude. 
I know. Look, Drusilla was that girl. And without mm-hmm. Spike, she would, I'm telling you, she. I feel like we were robbed. If she just, like, if, I don't know, the first half of season three was like her being a bit bad and then the mayor coming in, I would have been like, ah, oh, chef's kiss. Because she comes back without Spike even being there. Like they've broken up and she's the big bad yes, for the first half exactly. of season three. And yes. she's scary. She is scary enough yes. to pull that And we never off. got like, that. We had no, snippets here she's and there. up there. So yes. you're like, what is she going to I do? I wanted it so oh. bad. And her psychic yes. ability, like she uh-huh. lost, lost, yeah. lost something. And I just, I want to point out that Drusilla is the one that captured both Buffy and Angel did more than Spike ever did in that one episode that she was the, you know, the villain. And Harmony kidnapped Dawn and has done more than Spike ever did in her one episode, too. So in a way, I'm kind of rooting for Harmony to be the big bad because she could show Spike, but also be so refreshing to have a woman as the big bad. Um, but either way, it's really cool that we're focusing on vampires again, and it's so much better to have women around. Like, yes. I'm just – I'm here yes. for it. So The feminine anyway. energy in this episode was just immaculate. All the girlies. Yes. 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 And the, the wardrobe fits were just like – and she shows out every time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She shows agree. out. She was the best person to do this, to come in. Yes. <laughs> she, like, congratulates all of, like, her little minions on, like, the raid in the shop. <laughs> and then one of them gives her a unicorn. <laughs> They're, like, sire whipped. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, and then Cyrus, a very familiar face um, of one of the minions, his older brother was on the show. <laughs> I was trying to be subtle, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah just ruined your moment. Typical older sister. Just tell her to shut up next time. <laughs> and then, like, Cyrus is like, well, what are we going to do? Meaning, like, the plan. And then Harmony's like, ew. Um, I'm not doing that with you. And yeah, where like, are we going to do it? <laughs> she has <laughs> And I love how, like, she's, like, being all, like, okay, we're we're going to, like, we're sticking to the plan, like, blah, 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 being all, like, professional. And they're, like, okay, but, like, when are we going to do the plan? <laughs> like, four times, and she snaps, and then it goes back to being all smiley afterwards. I'm, like, that is a true girly in the workplace if I've ever seen one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, I have a plan. Don't worry about it. And they're, like, no, but, like, what is the plan? Because we intrinsically don't trust you. And then you snap, and they're, like, oh, she's emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Were you said against testy. her? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, we don't know if we believe you. You don't seem like you're an, able to control your own emotions, so therefore, why would we trust you with yeah. this mission? Yeah, Love triggering. That. So she says they're going to kill Buffy tonight. Then back at the house, we see Joyce is upset at Buffy for Dawn being near murder fair, but also like this is Sunnydale. If you don't want that happening, move Sunnydale or ship her somewhere else. So like, sorry, Joyce. Also, Buffy attracts death. So like, don't have her babysit then. Yeah. Okay. So my second soapbox of this episode is uh, Joyce didn't ask Buffy for a favor as she says that she did. She told her what she wanted to do. Also, Dawn is – okay. I get what the show is trying to do, but this is also like a big like a, a, a cause near and dear to my heart as the oldest sister of six. Uh, Dawn is your kid, Joyce. Don't make her Buffy's responsibility. I felt like Dawn, like Joyce was like parentifying, like doing the whole parentification of Buffy in this episode. Yeah. Um, I get that for the sake of the narrative, they're trying to put Buffy in a more responsible role. I get what they're trying to do. But this is a very real thing that parents do too. 
Like you chose to have that kid. You also chose to single parent that kid. Don't force Buffy to take on a role that she shouldn't have. That's how you get bitterness and anger between siblings. And that's why I think Dawn and Buffy are kind of like rubbing each other the wrong ways because Joyce is- her kid off. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So like that's all I'm going to say about that because I know that's not the point of the show, but I just wanted to point that out because I think that's a very real problem. I agree with Dom too. Like when you're 14, aren't you in high school? So like why the heck does she need a babysitter? Like you're in seventh or eighth grade. Yeah. In Sunnydale, she does. (laughs) And if she's Dawn, she does. She lives in the summer house. She might learn to protect herself. Like, yeah, that's I, true. But I think the fact that she invited a vampire in shows that yeah, they know Buffy her. was right. Yeah. Yeah. But also she right. is the, the sister of the Slayer. Their house is already a target. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Buffy so. doesn't wear a mask, so it's all Buffy's and, fault. And Joyce no, knows that. I'll give Joyce a pass. I'll give Joyce a pass. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, that's a surprise. Chrissy's on the Joyce hate train, man. Oh, let, let's not linger there too long. I will get triggered. <laughs> um, I'll get my ukulele out like coming back Oh, uh, no. Oh, no. Oh. Talk about triggered. Anyway. Anyway, oh, okay. Anyway, so okay. she says that Xander's going to come babysit, and then all of a sudden, Dawn's like, cute. Okay, that's fine. And then dresses up in a dress for Xander coming over. I was dead at the fact that, like, both her, him, and Anya come in, they're playing life, and then she's eating ice cream, and she does this little inner monologue. And he's like, he sees me as what I am a woman. And she has ice cream all over her. Face. Oh, doesn't it, like, remind you of Willow when Willow had a crush on him in the earlier season? Yeah. But he was being so sweet. Like, both him and Anya, I was like, Oh, like this is a cute little dynamic. Like he's being really sweet to Dawn. I also want to point out that Dawn's color, she's wearing all blue, which actually kind of reminded me of Cordelia. Cordelia wore a lot of blue. Um, but in media, blue is often the color for the outsider, which I thought was interesting. And so every outfit of Dawn's, with the exception of the last one, is blue in some way, which I thought was kind of interesting. Dawn thinks Xander is dreamy and brave. And I feel like this kind of connects them in a level that she sees him how Xander wants to be seen in the group. Like that he has like a, a pivotal role that like I, mm. part of me kind of thinks he's this is a little bit of like a, a write-in of Joss and how he wants to be seen. Well, let's well, not think like, too far about that I one. <laughs> see, like, I don't have an older sister at all. And so like my older cousins, like this is going to sound really creepy, but I would always have a crush on their boyfriends. So like for me, when Dawn did that, I was like, oh, that tracks. Because that was yeah. like, I was like, ooh, Travis is so hot. Like, yeah, I still have to see it. But, you know, and I was like younger. So when you're younger, any any consistent older like person in your life that you're like attracted to is gonna and you're gonna end up being like like having feelings for them, you know? Like that's why there's like the statistics of like your first crush being like your teacher is so high because you're with them all the time and they're like an adult and they know what they're doing. They just seem like somebody who has their life together. And for you being a child who's like angsty, you're like, that is like, ooh, I have a crush on them, you know? <laughs> so I thought it w- it was sweet. I like that they they shot a couple of the scenes of Xander from Dawn's perspective, and he was yeah. always shown to be kind of higher than her. True. Uh, like when when uh, Xander was talking to Joyce, and you hear Dawn's monologue, and then you kind of see it from her the perspective. Angle's lower, and it, yeah. And then yeah. again with the ice cream, like it was it was only with Xander, which I thought was really interesting. Huh. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. If I could just describe this episode, and this makes me sad that you said that 
on like IMDb, this is rated really low because to me, this episode was really refreshing. Like it was very realistic. All the conversations were so like, I was like, oh, like we've been needing this. Like this next conversation in the dorm room, we have Willow and Tara unpacking. And like Tara's kind of having this conversation I kind of teased earlier about like the quote unquote outsider feeling and how she empathizes with Dawn because she knows what that's like. But it's not like a passive aggressive well, I know what that's like sort of conversation. It's just like a realistic like, hey, I understand you guys have your rules in the Scooby gang. I understand that like you all have like contributed. You know your place. Like you guys have this bond. You've been here for years. You know what you're doing. You're really in the groove. Like it, there's a natural feeling that can happen when you're like a significant other coming into that because obviously she has that connection with Willow, but it's like it's really hard to – break into that, especially when you get older. I feel like it's a little bit easier when they're younger, but it's like as you get older, it's a little bit harder to kind of like find your place. Well, Tara even saying, I'm not even sure I want to, is her recognizing that Willow has these special relationships and being okay with Willow having her own life apart from Tara. Tara's like, I can be a part of it to a certain extent, but I don't know that I want to break into that because that's something that's yours, that's special for you. And I thought that was just another marker of a very healthy relationship. She's not trying to shoehorn her way in because like Willow does try and say like, hey, we can do an initiation, we can do this. Right. Like, no, like I'm okay. Tara doesn't feel threatened by that. Um, I do think that there was some interesting moments where Willow says, "You're completely one of the gang now. Everyone accepts that you're one of the good guys." And when she says that, the script says, inexplicably self-conscious at that, Tara's eyes drift to the floor, then away. Willow doesn't notice. Tara starts pulling stuff out of the box, breaking the embrace. So something in that phrasing triggers Tara. I noticed that too, Sarah, when she said you're one mm-hmm. of the good guys. That Yeah, it's interesting. Yep. Well, I mean, they, they've kind of teased some stuff that, that you could tell Tara's like holding back a little bit. Yes. Um, yeah. On just maybe some facts about her, her past, like whatever. They're yeah. teasing something. But Tara says, ending the conversation that she worries for Dawn sometimes. Um, and then we see later on in the graveyard, Buffy's complaining to Riley about her argument with Joyce. Um, and then Riley says that Buffy seems pretty tense recently. Um, he says that she's in Don's case a lot. Um, and that he says that Don looks up to her. She's her idol. And I feel like I think that he he has a good mindset going into this and talking to her and giving that perspective. But a part of me was kind of like uh, – and yeah, I'm just like programmed to criticize Riley, but I just I felt like he, like <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of felt like the way that he was like talking about some of this, I was like, okay, like it is important to be like, oh, like maybe you could be a little bit like more delicate about this stuff when you're talking to Dawn and understand her perspective. But it's like saying like, oh, she looks up to you, you're her idol is a little bit like I've heard that guilt trip a lot when it comes to your siblings, and I'm like and I didn't feel it back then. I was like, there's literally no way. Are you joking me? Um, I just think it's more beneficial to come into a um, healthy discussion by not putting the pressure on the older sibling, by being perfect and having to be perfect around them all the time, by saying like they look up to you, you're their idol. Just be like, hey, understand her perspective. I think the biggest thing is just a lack of empathy on both ends between the sisters. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just me overanalyzing it, but as an older sister, it pissed me off a lot when people kept saying that about like my two younger sisters. Um, 
And sometimes I'd feel that pressure. I was just like, I'm supposed to be like, when I first got my license, I was like, okay, I'm going to drive Beckley around all the time and we're going to bond. I'm going to be perfect. I won't say anything. And like, there's also pressure as I put on myself too, but I really wanted to be like the oldest sister they looked up to. I would bring them to movies. We would get like McDonald's all the time. But it's like this like pressure of like, and lack of intimacy that happens a lot of the times. I don't know. It just creates this imbalance sometimes with siblings. But what do you what do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think this is the most important scene of the episode, personally. I think that we get an interesting insight into Buffy's mind that we don't normally get, especially with Riley. Like I think this might even be the most that Riley and Buffy have talked and Buffy's opened up to Riley, yeah. which I think is is good. Like this is what we want to see out of their relationship. But Buffy's saying she gets to be a kid and she acts like it's the biggest burden in the world when sometimes all I want to do is curl up in mom's lap and not worry about the fate of the world. I'd like to be the one who's all protected, mm-hmm. who's waited on. Um, this is especially heartrending when you remember her curling up next to next to Joyce in innocence. This is Buffy desiring protection and innocence and all this stuff. And I think that again, the real me this is the real Buffy. The real Buffy desires normal life, normalcy. And I think that's what Dawn represents, at least in this episode. Who knows if it's later on, but I think Dawn represents a normal life. And Buffy is like, this show is all about adolescence and Buffy growing up. And I think Buffy is feeling the strain of getting older and looking back at her childhood and going, man, I feel like my childhood was robbed by being the slayer, and I wish I had the innocence that Dawn does. And I think that that, that is 100% justified. Like, I, I totally get that. But I also want to note, too, it's interesting that Buffy is the only one of everyone that senses something odd about Dawn. She says, but for some reason, it's really been getting to me lately. She's I heard, always around. Yes, the lately part is the key word. Yes, exactly. And it's easy to brush it off because Dawn is the one that is affecting Buffy's life the most. So it's really easy to think, oh, Buffy's just bothered because she has to do a lot more than she normally would. But Buffy's also the slayer. There's going to be a part of her that if Dawn is not supposed to be there, if she's just popped up like the show's showing us, that Buffy's going to be the first one to realize that something's not what it should be. Um, But once again, everybody's not believing her. (laughs) So back at the house, Dawn is complaining to Xander, just like how we saw Parallel with Buffy complaining to Riley, um, talking about like, you know, again, just the different perspectives they both have without the la- with a lack of empathy on either side. Because, um, like, in essence, they will never understand each other's rules, you know? Like, but I think that there's just a lack of, like, intimacy in the relationship sometimes. Because I think Buffy also – man, they're already dropping all these seeds in episode one, dude. I, I'm already getting episode all this two, already. But yes. Yeah. Episode one of their relationship. Um, yeah. But, like – Like, Buffy feels this huge responsibility to protect Dawn. And so, therefore, there's a lot more of this, like, snappy, like, controlling side that comes out of her, Mm -hmm. um, which makes the younger sibling retaliate because they're really stubborn. And so, it's this, like, endless cycle of, like, back and forth. So, it's it's really hard to kind of, like, have those intimate moments in between all of that without – 
usually it comes after like an argument and an apology and then there's that connection, which is a huge bummer. So back at the house, they're still playing life. Anya's obsessed or upset um, because she thinks she's losing and then realizes she's winning and then all of a sudden now she likes it. That's classic Anya. Um, And then they get a rock through the window and there's a paper tied to it that says Slayer come out and die. (laughs) And there's a smiley face. Yeah. And then you see Harvey be like – Buffy, come out. I know you're in there. I, I would die. <laughs> like she has like the most like basic white girl voice. Like, I know yeah. you're in there. <laughs> Which is hilarious because Buffy's not in there. <laughs> I kept thinking when when the rock came through and then Harmony was yelling outside, I was like, this would be a perfect spoof moment if they did a vampire one where like the slayers in the living room and then all the vampires are just like arguing with her to come outside from the window behind and they're just being like please come outside please just invite me in and they're just trying to watch tv and they just annoy her so much that she'll end up coming outside that would have been so funny whoever decides to reboot buffy which i yeah i have feelings and thoughts about that but if anybody decides to reboot the buffy universe i hope and hope and hope they have um like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon vampire going to be that and be so like, funny. That is actually genius. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Be like, um, can I? Can you let me in to tell you about our Lord and Savior but it Jesus has to Christ? Be someone so sexy so that people yeah. will invite them inside. It can't be the one of the nerdy ones because otherwise people won't invite them in. They'll be like, you know what? I'll hear him out. <laughs> Come inside. Well, right, as long right. as they look like Dracula, I mean, it helped Joyce. Joyce was like, "Oh, I come in, bet." <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> would be super sexy. Yeah. Also, guys, I've just missed vampires. There was barely yeah. any vampires in season four, and this whole I'm interaction just for it. I just this missed watch Buffy so much. much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. just happy Adam's not there anymore. Oh, and it's thanks, the good Lord. Adam, who so we don't know, we don't know him. <laughs> we don't talk about her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brother Adam. Um, and then so they they open up the door to Harmony and then Xander's kind of like laughing at her, making jokes at her expense because it is in in essence it is funny. She's standing right at the door frame. He is like not scared at all, so close to her because it's not like she can reach out and like, you know, do anything. Um, no, my favorite part was Xander being like, is that Brad? Yeah, <laughs> Brad, on. classic. And then Brad's like, screw you, Harris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, and then Don tries to defend Xander and then defend his honor. accidentally Stop, invites Harmony inside. Luckily, it wasn't everyone. That would have been such an unfair fight. Um, okay. No, but I was cracking up because – like Leia and I are covering Angel and mm-hmm. over on Angel they established that you can open endedly just say come on over sometimes that broadly and that's a free invitation to any home you live in ever. No. What? what? Yeah. For real? But then yes. how like that doesn't make sense though. No, it doesn't and it's created so many problems. Um it happened in the episode where Cordelia hasn't even gotten the keys to her house yet, the new the new apartment building and she tells Angel, "Yeah, you guys will have to come over." She says something open-endedly and Angel appears at the front door at one point and she's about to invite him in, but he just walks right in and he goes, "Who said I could come over?" Um and then uh the in eternity like the actress Rebecca's like, "You should stop by sometime." That's considered an invitation. And then it in what? the most recent the most recent episode that we covered um 
I I can't remember which one it's called, but uh, someone said everyone's invited to the party. And so that's how vampires got inside the house <gasps> because uh, it's an open invitation. And Leia and I hate it so much because it's more well-defined here in Buffy because yeah. him, like Dawn saying that, it could sound like that was to everybody. But you know but what? But it was only to Harmony. You know what, Sarah, though? I think that kind of makes sense in the Angel universe only because in – it kind of li- aligns with passion because like there's a sign outside the school that's like to oh, all yeah. who like oh, desire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They I, have to do it over an angel because their main character is a vampire. So they have to make yeah, the rules a little it, bit broader yeah, for yeah, him. Yeah. But here they need him to be well-defined because Buffy's not Buffy, a vampire. For sure. Totally. Yeah. It works for both. It just is like, it, it gets a little bit convoluted if your main pro, protagonist is a vampire you kind of have to make some leeway (laughs) yes exactly so she gets invited inside her and xander are brawling on the floor and then he kicks her ends up knocking over all the minions and then they leave she says that she'll be back dude harmony gave up way too easily she had a golden opportunity i mean mean, buffy's not there though so but go like kill all her friends like but see that's so stupid though because then she'd be so angry and would like come and obliterate you i get it you have to do the long the long wait. She still signed her own death warrant though because Buffy has to come after her now that she has access to her house. I don't know. Yeah. I just – I don't know. Anyway, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, in the kitchen, Buffy's laughing because she hears that like Harmony was there throwing empty threats. She's so me. Um, and then she – it gets spilled that she was invited in and she's like, where is she? <laughs> <laughs> and it goes straight upstairs. This would be honestly, I'd be freaking pissed too because it's like it's the safety of their home. At least being a slayer, I could sleep soundly knowing like they can't make it in here. You know, it's yeah. more of like the other monsters. Like, make sure you don't befriend, you know, demons. Then they can just come on in. In the graveyard, Harmony and her minions are complaining and talking about what happened. And then Harmony's like, at least I was able to be invited in. Spike shows up. Um, Oh, yeah, he's still here. <laughs> I know. So they're like, hmm, what can we do with him with this episode? We'll have him show up because him and Harmony have dated. Um, but this whole interaction, I think, was a little bit like – it's like almost like a reminder, oh, he's fighting evil because he has a chip in his head and he can't yeah. fight humans. That was the only purpose of this conversation, just kind of rehash that. I um, will say – I will say, though, I literally – I was literally drinking water when Spike punches them and then says, step on up, kitties, thrashings for uh, all. He's <laughs> just like out to cause chaos. <laughs> he's in his chaotic era. He's like, well, if I can't do what I want to do, I'm just going to kill my own kind. Um, also, I think the point of this moment too was for Spike to tear down and belittle Harmony so much and yeah. for her to be related to Dawn. No one's taking her seriously, just like no one takes Dawn seriously. I know she has her little like speech. I was like, why am I Harmony girly now? She's like, this is the real me since you left and has this whole like empowering speech where she's like, you don't like the fact that I like have my own minions, I'm my own person. And I'm like, honestly, yeah. 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 Ever since the harsh light of day, I've been squarely on Harmony's team. And you know what? What does Spike have going for him? He's over there. She says, how have you been? He goes, not bad. Just got a brand new telly in my crypt. So it's giving, dude, I just got a cool Xbox. You should come over and take a look at it. Meanwhile, she's girl bossing over here. It's, right. it's literally giving, I bump into my my ex 
who yes. dumped me and I'm actually doing well, yet he's gaslighting me in this moment that he's doing well and that he's diminishing yeah. the person that I've become. The song that's going through my head right now is Meme by Taylor Swift. Uh, oh. Yes. 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 That is harmony. <laughs> You're a liar yes. and pathetic and alone uh, in alone life and, life. and mean. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, and the other purpose of this scene is it's supposed to also plant a seed of discord in Harmony's gang. They start to not respect her authority as much because they see her and Spike getting along and they're like, oh, Spike is the one that kills our kind. And then Spike kind of belittles them for following Harmony. And so we see everybody starting to like not believe her as much because of – and he's just so belittling too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to go kill the Slayer. And he's like singing my song now, are you? And I was like, dude, that's every vampire's tune, Spike. You did not come up with that one. (laughs) But she leaves all positive and like empowered. She's like, oh, I have a new plan. And we're like, yes, Harmony. Go try to kill her, but don't actually kill her. I will be on your team if you don't kill her, (laughs) but try to. Go for it. She says, there comes a time in a woman's life when she realizes she has to take the next step. I've taken it. I found the real me. And I was like, ooh, I was doing my Leonardo DiCaprio whistle and point at the TV like, that's the title of the episode. Back at the house, we have um, Buffy getting all her weapons ready. Honestly, I get that. And this is the conversation that I was going to mention earlier where I understand where Buffy's coming from. This is one of those that I think she – I get it. She's going a little too hard on Dawn in my opinion. But I think that she is valid for being as anxious and frustrated because it, this is or could be a life or death situation. Luckily, it is Harmony, but like she is still a vampire. Um, it's just unfortunate that like Dawn being the youngest, she's several years younger than everyone else, um, already feels bad. Here's this conversation of Buffy going really hard on her when talking about it with Xander and Riley. And they are like I, – I do appreciate like Xander and Riley trying to be the voice of like a Dawn stand-in in this conversation. I don't think that they mm-hmm. were being really rough. I don't think that they were being unfair. I think that they were coming at it very neutral and giving Buffy an insight to how Dawn is feeling. But I – Like, Buffy made some really good points here, though. Towards the end, I feel like when she was saying, like – She's got to be more um, careful. Oh, yeah. She's got to be more careful. I can't protect her 24-7. Like, um, it's more than just, like, inviting somebody. And it's the fact that, like – Because at first it came off as, like, her being really pissed that she did that because that's, like, obvious to her. But she also mentions, like – And this is how like a normal rant goes. It's like in the beginning, it's a lot more of annoyance. And then towards the end is really where the the heart is coming out. Exactly. That's where the heart is. And so she comes off like normal older sister. I can't believe she did this sort of thing. Then you give a little bit more context where she's like, she's 14 years old and a child, which is what Riley said or Xander. And she's like, I was a child too. And I remembered the rules of what I was supposed to do. And then Riley Mm -hmm. says, but you were supposed to, which is Mm -hmm. a good point to make. That is a really Mm -hmm. good point to make. But Don also has responsibility in the same house as 14. She's not seven. She's 14. Um, She should know and does know at this point that like if you invite somebody a, a vampire in it's not only your life it's buffy's life and joyce's life that you're putting in danger um which is a huge responsibility but like at the very end like buffy's like 
I can't protect her if she's being stupid like this, which mm-hmm. is what Buffy's heart, that's where she's coming from. It's just that she's finding the pressure and the frustration of having somebody mm-hmm. like Dawn who's a little bit like not thinking through things. Uh, so I can understand her being really frustrated with Dawn. There's also the little mix of Buffy being frustrated that she was expected to remember all these rules. And yeah. yes, I, I recognize what Riley said was true. Like Buffy had to. But yeah. Buffy's frustrated going, why do I have to? And it comes down to Buffy was chosen, Dawn wasn't. And Buffy's sitting there going, I I, I have to do all these things. I'm exp- I, There's a different standard for me. And she's not necessarily mad at Dawn. She's she's frustrated and mad at the circumstances that have put her in this position. Yeah. The fact that she has to be the one that has the to system. be responsible yeah. and doing all that. And so once she vents all that out and she says, I can't be there to watch her, she's sitting there going, can she just remember that? Because literally everything else is on my shoulders. Like the burden, the person who's going to have to go rescue her, take care of her, fight the bad guy if she messes up is me. I have to bear the brunt of the consequences of the universe, the fate yeah, choosing me, but also bear the burden of Dawn messing up. And she's like, all I'm wanting her to do is just not do that one thing. And now I have to go pick up the pieces for that again. You made a good point, Sarah, because it's like yeah. if anyone in the inner circle messes up, who Gets it's always Buffy. Buffy. It's Buffy. So it's like it's no matter what. It's like yes, she's young. Yes, like that's a mess up. But it's also like she knows this. She's, far as we know, she's been Buffy's sister since birth. So like she knows <laughs> these rules. Like right. you know, uh, yeah. And then it's Buffy's fault. It now it's Buffy's shoulders to go and kill right. or take care of Harmony right. because now she's invited in. So yes, Buffy is being harsh. Yes, Buffy is being a little bit more brutally honest than she needs to be. But also, Buffy's the one that's ultimately responsible at the end of the day. And that's like I, I kind of think that she's being fair. Yeah. Honestly. So <clears throat> she just came in hot, but she did, yeah. but they did that so that Dawn would run out the front For door. For sure. <laughs> it's definitely like a plot device. Um, yeah. But not a bad one. Um, so Dawn runs out. Anya sees that she's running out, runs out with her, tries to stop her, and then gets hit so hard that her head hits the ground and gets knocked out. That was out. rough. Yeah. I was honestly. like, wow, like that was really good editing. I was like, dang, that like that genuinely looked really hard. And then Dawn gets taken by the minions. Uh, it must be Tuesday. Um, and then in Harmony's lair, we we are um, being told that Dawn is chained to the wall because all the minions want to eat her right away because they're all really impatient. Um, and poor Harmony, she was like, we have a plan. We have to stick to the plan. And all these minions are like being so annoying. Yeah, but my stomach is rumbling, spoken like <laughs> men. They're like, I'm hungry though. <laughs> and then Harmony's plan is actually pretty decent. She's like, we're going to lure like Buffy here and then we'll take care of her. But it's like, babes, you're going to need more vampires. If you're going to lure her here, what if she brings the whole gang? Then it's one-on-one for each person. And right. yeah, some of them might be one-on-one with Xander, but that's still pretty like <laughs> – That's pretty rough. <laughs> Cyrus can have him. Um, and then back at – or not back, but we see a first glance at um, Spike's new crypt with his TV that he's setting up. Oh, and yeah. then this starts – I I love to, to say it as like the season five saga of Buffy just like breaking – storming into <laughs> Spike's crypt with like no warning and then just hits him while asking him to do something. <laughs> she knows um, exactly where he lives and she just lets him live. She just like I love bursts it. and like sprints over to him and like hits him and is like, tell me where Harmony's lair is. And then he tells her and she hits him again. He's like, 
I that's where it is. And she's like, I know. <laughs> yeah. I was telling the truth. She's like, yeah, I hit you just because. Yep. Um, and then back at Harmony's lair, we see Harmony ranting um, to Dawn about how her minions don't respect her. And is like, this is like the aspect. And this is what I loved about the scene. This is Harmony as kind of a stand-in for Buffy's perspective. Yeah. And yet we could sit here and then Dawn is like, oh, yeah, I, I understand what that feels like. And it, I love this because it's trying to show us that like if Buffy and Dawn had a conversation, they would have so much in common because exactly what Harmony is saying here is what Buffy has gone through and is going through at this exact moment. Like there's so many connecting lines here. Yeah. Um and then like like Harmony feels all the pressure because she's like, well, like all these minions are dumbasses. And if I don't do what I need to do, then like it's gonna be all my fault, sort of thing. Um, and then as she's saying that the minions come in and say that they have a change of plans, um, they're basically going to eat Dawn and then kill Harmony in that exact order. Except for Brad. He abstained, which is oh, yeah. hilarious. <laughs> is he the one that gave her the unicorn? He is, He's like yeah. a little sire whipped. <laughs> I love um, that it's Brad too. Such a basic white man name. Honestly, you I just could see in the back room them being like, Mort, um, you're a little bit scarier and bigger than us. Can you be the person saying all of this that she's actually scared? Right. <laughs> they chose the right person because Harmony was not scared until Mort was like walking up and towering Mort was over big. her. Yeah. Mort grabbed and manhandled Buffy a little bit too. Yep. Um, Cyrus comes over to Dawn and then Dawn's like, if you touch me, my sister will kill you. And he like pokes her and then he immediately gets like an arrow to the chest. I'm like, <laughs> such a big sister moment. She was like waiting to have that moment. She's like, I'm going to wait it out so that Dawn can see how close call this could have been. Yeah, well, see, the thing is that Dawn's not really terrified at all because she knows Buffy's going to come save her. And I'm like, Dawn. (laughs) Well, the fact, too, like, Buffy went there by herself. Like, she didn't bring Willow. She didn't bring Dan. Because she was not threatened. Like, she did not feel threatened. Even though it was a nest of vampires, she still was like, I'm going to go by myself. Like, I'm not worried about Buffy. Yeah. Like, so crazy. And she immediately does, like, Cyrus. She does, like, two of the other vamps. And then it's now her and Mort. And Mort is, like, Sarah said, manhandling her. Like, these were some hefty punches and throws and yeets. <laughs> you missed <laughs> so slayer. At last we meet. And Buffy's like, we've met Harmony, you halfway. <laughs> I think that Harmony's in her, like, girl boss, like, bad girl antagonist era and it's just saying all the tropes and things that you're supposed to say yeah and she then she's is. like she's trying oh, to be the big bad <laughs> i will say this was hands down my favorite like bit of dialogue that buffy had it was so good she says harmony when you tried being head cheerleader you were bad when you tried to chair the homecoming committee you were really bad but when you try to be bad you suck <laughs> so yeah. good <laughs> Um, also, David Fury in his com- DVD commentary said that the decision to have less martial arts and more boxing style of fighting was driven by the story and Buffy's desire to get more in line with her slayer side. So more power means less technique. So as we're seeing Buffy's power developing, we're going to see less 
of the um, martial arts and the more fancy flips and stuff that Buffy normally does, which I thought it's was because cool. she's a lot more comfortable in her Slayer abilities at this point. She's less reliant yeah. on the step by step or the Kendra esque version of being a Slayer. Yeah. Um, we're seeing her a little bit more into the fluidity of it, which is a little bit more mm-hmm. of what she learned from Faith. So I really feel yep. like it's a progression of how she is as a Slayer at this point. She's not so reliant on like, okay, put my foot here. Here's like a, a a specific strike. It's more of like a, I'll do whatever I want. I, I'll figure it out. And like I'll flow with my passions and I always end winning sort of thing, right. which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells Dawn to close her eyes, classic, um, to which peaks. Dawn immediately opens. <laughs> and then she ends up staking Mort with a massive big um, a unicorn, unicorn horn. <laughs> yeah. He's like, his last words are, Brad. <laughs> to which we conclude with her breaking the chains um, around Dawn's wrists by listing all the things that she could use against her to Joyce as Dawn tries to do the same, but with to no comparison. <laughs> and then they go like they flip right back into the house. Um, they sneak in just as Joyce comes home which is perfect. And they both decide collectively to lie in that moment because like it is not worth it. Yes, which shows they have something in common. Yep. You know, which I thought was a really interesting moment. Yep. Both of them are like, you know what? <laughs> it's not worth it. We'll just let it go. <laughs> and then we end at the magic shop and rejoice. We have a set solidified spot where everyone can meet in the Scooby gang that they can get all the resources from again. Oh, it was long fourth season without having a place where we can have books and researching. Yeah. So I'm glad we have a space for that now. Giles's apartment was okay, but it wasn't quite cutting it. It felt like Giles's place, but this like, this feels like a place that is the Scoobies, which I really love. And you know what? It worked for this, the, um, uh, transition season of four because it was supposed to be like out of place like we don't have the library like having Giles's home a fit because Giles was unemployed which felt out of pocket because he was also like that everyone else was also like that in season four but it, everything feels like it's just kind of like clicking back into place this episode mm-hmm. like last episode was like oh a nice refresh camp fun after season four but this episode for me is like okay this is season five mm-hmm. um and I just – I'm so excited to have the magic shop. It just works. It's the perfect fit. Whoever decided to have this as the set spot needs a raise, it's perfect. Yeah. I love that we found out that Giles was so bored last year that he watched Passions with Spike, which is really funny. So good. And then we have that last line from Dawn that says, she still thinks I'm Little Miss Nobody, just her dumb little sister. Boy, is she in for a surprise. And we kind of end on that note with the mysterious music. So, whoop, whoop. Oh, this is going to be such a good season, you guys. Like uh, every episode so far has just been, even if they've not been like top tier episodes, have just been so fun. Like this episode is what I would refer to as a candy episode. It's just fun to watch. I'm good to see, like, the different characters, like, differently. Because someone else's eyes besides puppies. Yeah, I agree. And it's just nice to have Giles have purpose again. It's nice to see everybody, like, everybody was organic in how they interacted. And it wasn't like season four where they kind of had to shoehorn each of the characters in. So we at least have some Xander and some Giles. Like, everybody in this episode made sense for the positions they were in. And it was just... 
it was so refreshing. So loved it. Love season five. So excited. Yeah. And check out our spoiler section next week, guys, because there's going to be lots of spoilers to talk about in this episode. It's going to be really great. Leah will be joining us for that, so you'll get to hear all her thoughts that you missed for this episode. It's going to be great. And Chrissy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. It's always so fun. This is so fun. Come back again soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. And you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Special shout out and thank you to our producers, Cashan, CJ, Paul, and Chrissy. Thank you to our listeners, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye.